Previously on Transformers University, we dove into Season 2 of the original Generation 1 cartoon, and now we are coming to the end of Season 2 with the final five episodes right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Episode 43 of Transformers University. Today we are... Wrapping up Season 2, we're wrapping up the final episodes of 1985 and a few that aired in 1986 from the original cartoon in Season 2 before we make our way to 1986, uh, the Transformers movie, and uh, a whole lot more as we continue on this journey. But first, while we're on this journey, I want to thank a couple of our new enrolled students over at our patreon patreon.com slash tfu info first up jeremy dennis of the transmissions podcast you've heard him here before he has signed up at the junior level and mr john levengood uh our newest pledge at the senior level so if you'd like to uh sign up you can sign up for as little as one dollar a month that'll get you freshman enrollment that'll let you hear this episode at least 24 hours ahead of its uh, publication elsewhere. And it'll get you uh, some inside scoop on what I'm up to with the show, some exclusive podcasts, some exclusive uh, video content, and all sorts of other things. Speaking of video content, uh, as we wrap up 2018 in real life and wrap up 1985 here, I do want to encourage you all to swing on by to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash tfuinfo, and subscribe. But enough housekeeping for the moment. Let's jump into the first of the five episodes we're going to talk about today. And that is episode 45, overall episode 61, Cosmic Rust by Paul Davids. Now, this was the final episode to air in 1985, uh, and we actually, going through these five episodes, they aired um, not just out of order from these five, but out of order from some of the other episodes we've already covered, but uh, on to Paul Davids, the writer on the show. This is the first of four episodes that he would go on to write for the Transformers series. Um, he's also written for Bionic 6. Cops, Garbage Pail Kids, and uh, of note here is that he was the production coordinator on the Transformers series. So I'm guessing uh, the in-house folks threw him a bone and uh, gave him a chance to show his writing chops back in 1985. Now this episode starts with the Decepticons flying through space on Astrotrain. They find a planet that is emblazoned with the Autobot symbol. Uh, on that planet, they find... A building covered with an inscription in ancient Autobot. And Starscream finds a way to interface. Starscream! Keep your grubby fingers off that! It could be a booby trap! What trap? This is a prehistoric communication device, you uneducated dolt! And if you heard last episode, then you'll be glad to know that in this continuity, Starscream knows the meaning of the word dolt. This machine... It reveals a hologram message from the past. If Cybertron be your home, far away, never roam. Hear 
my message. Listen and fear. Danger comes. The end is near. Just like us, you soon will rust. All shall be turned to dust. The Decepticons ignore the warning and explore. They find this giant mechanical lightning bug, which turns out to be some sort of weapon. And of course, the Decepticons decide to take it and leave with it. Um, as they do, they board Astrotrain, and he is followed by an asteroid. Upon realizing they're being followed by this asteroid, uh, Megatron uses the lightning bug heat ray to blow up the asteroid, but gets hit with some of the shrapnel from the explosion. Back at Decepticon headquarters, Starscream removes an asteroid chunk and finds some rust. <sighs> what is this on my chest hole? It looks like some sort of rust. That is ridiculous. We are rust-proof. You know, that, that line always makes me wonder exactly what is a chest hole. Because um, Megatron reacts as if um, he's supposed to have a hole in his chest and uh, there just happens to be rust in it. In New York City, uh, Perceptor is being honored for developing something called Corostop, which the Autobots are going to use to coat the world's monuments, but they only have enough right now to coat the Statue of Liberty. And uh, just to jump into the real-world uh, tie-in here, so back around uh, 1984 and 1985, uh, growing up in New York, you were uh, like I did, you were well aware the Statue of Liberty was under a re... I don't want to say reconstruction. A restoration is probably the uh, the best way to put it. There was uh, a restoration, a refurbishing of Lady Liberty going on. Uh, and they certainly taught it in school. And we certainly saw it on TV in commercials such as this one. I have welcomed people from all nations, all stations of life to our shores. Your parents grandparents and I gave them a dream of hope freedom and opportunity a dream that shaped the courage and destiny of three generations of Americans a dream that forged this mighty nation but now I need your help time and the elements are destroying me corrosion has weakened my body I am in desperate need of help or soon I will become a symbol of shame and decay. America, you are my dream, and I am yours. If you still believe in me, save me. Keep the torch lit. Send your contribution to The Lady, Box 1986, New York, or call 1-800-THE-LADY. And as the restoration was nearing its completion, uh, getting ready for the statue's 100th birthday in 1986, uh, that didn't stop corporate America from making sure that they uh, put their mark on it as well. This buzz for the crew, restoring America's pride in liberty. This buzz for you. You know America takes pride in what you do. Yeah, just for you, that distinctively clean, crisp taste that says Budweiser. But back to the story. So Megatron, uh, back at Decepticon headquarters, is 
hideous. He is hideous. Uh, he is rusting more, and uh, he orders that Perceptor be kidnapped. Uh, while the Autobots are restoring the statue with some Korostov, Perceptor is off on his own and is attacked by some Stunticons, but not just regular Stunticons, jet skiing Stunticons. Uh, they capture Perceptor and the Aerobots pursue but fail to rescue him. Uh, at Decepticon headquarters, Perceptor, he strikes a deal with a very rusty Megatron. Uh, new weapon, uh, the lightning bug, uh, the heat ray as it's called in this episode as well, in exchange for the cure. Perceptor then finds out that Megatron is infected with the titular cosmic rust. Hmm. You've been infected by a metallic plague, Megatron. Impossible! Only organic forms of life can be infected by disease. This is a rare metallic infection. Legend has it, it wiped out entire races of robots, like the Black Plague did to humans. It's cosmic rust. I, I think it's great that uh, Megatron either hints that the Transformers here are part organic in some way, or that... Uh, only organics get diseases, but uh, this rust is accelerated by the lightning bug heat ray as Megatron's hand just falls off. Uh, Perceptor picks it up and rubs some Corostop on it and cures the rust. Uh, we cut back to Autobot base where Megatron decides to FaceTime Optimus Prime. He is certainly much shinier and non-rusty in this image. And uh, he tells Optimus he is leaving Perceptor in Fox Creek Canyon, which is three miles from base. Now, while there is no real Fox Creek Canyon, there is a Fox Creek Pass, which is a mountain pass located at the uh, Teton Range in Grand Teton National Park in the state of Wyoming. And this pass actually um, can be accessed from the east via the Death Canyon Trail. Now, speaking of impending death, Megatron uh, has rigged Perceptor, not just with a bomb that is set to go off, uh, but with cosmic rust as well. Now, the bomb is set to go off via Perceptor's microscope mode. This is a pretty devious plan, so he has Perceptor locked in microscope mode. He is positioned his microscope in a way that the uh, bomb is underneath the lens and the lens uh, is mere minutes away from receiving direct light from the sun, thus igniting the bomb. Optimus Prime must choose to either rescue Perceptor or be infected with the cosmic rust. And of course, Optimus being Optimus, decides to save Perceptor, and they return to Autobot base, where Teltran 1 tells us a bit about cosmic rust. The germs originated on a planet called Antilla. At the dawn of time, there was a thriving Autobot civilization. Then dreaded asteroids began falling from the sky to spread cosmic rust. No cure was ever found. The 13th Legion, the Lost Legion, was decimated by that malevolent scourge. Now there's some important things in that little bit of audio. Uh, the name of the planet, Antilla, 
which uh, we'll get to in a little bit, but also um, the Autobots colonizing other worlds. Uh, that is something that shows up in later Transformers series, such as uh, Transformers Cybertron, and then the IDW run of Transformers comics. Uh, also the 13th Legion, uh, and again in IDW there are uh, 13 colonies, and uh, a bit more on that in a little bit. Now, the uh, Corostop is the only cure for cosmic rust and uh the key ingredient ingredient x we found out a little bit earlier in this episode that there is no more ingredient x in the universe wheeljack has an idea we could try the matter duplicator the matter duplicator but it doesn't work it never worked <laughs> it's like uh optimus and wheeljack are are rocky and bullwinkle uh, that trick never works so the Decepticons, they decide to attack Autobot base with the heat ray to accelerate the rust and infect the rest of the Autobots. Quickly, Perceptor and Wheeljack head to the Matter Duplicator, which has an entire room. It has an entire room. It's something that's never worked, but they dedicated an entire space for it. Uh, that blows my mind a bit. Uh, and of course, this time, it works. Uh, we find out from the Decepticons spying uh, that the Autobots have found a way uh, to duplicate Ingredient X and make more Corostop, and they're headed to New York to the Statue of Liberty to get a sample of the Corostop. Uh, the Decepticons decide to head there too. Megatron, Soundwave, and Rumble, the blue one, along with Menasaur. Menasaur will be the one to fire the heat ray at the Statue of Liberty. But the Autobots are hiding in the statue and fire on the Decepticons. The Aerialbots arrive and cause Menasaur to drop the heat ray uh, just before combining and Superion uh, destroys the heat ray. From there, the Decepticons retreat, the Autobots are cured, and they celebrate at the statue. Now, that is a lot of action for one episode. Uh, and like I said before, there's some interesting uh, continuations of this concept of both Cosmic Rust and Antilla and the colonies uh, in future Transformer stories. And for more on that, I'm going to toss it over to Charles, a.k.a. Big C, from the Transmissions Podcast. This is Charles, a.k.a. Big C, from the Transmissions Podcast. I'm going to talk about another G1 episode, Cosmic Rust. This was another fun episode for me. It was uh, it was interesting revisiting this. I actually hadn't watched this episode in in several years, so it was a bit of of a surprise uh, hearing uh, a, a particular name of a planet in this episode. Uh, as uh, if you're familiar with the IDW comics, uh, which uh, just ended its uh, current Transformers Universe run. Uh, the IDW Transformers universe uh, recently introduced Unicron, and Unicron turned out to be uh, a planet called Antilla, which was an alien planet that had been conquered by cyber and uh, warring Cybertronians in the ancient past, and the alien species there created Unicron as a doomsday device that turned their planet into a uh, giant monster. Uh, to get revenge on the Cybertronians. So that was the origin of Unicron in the IDW comics. So it's interesting here to see that 
the planet Antilla is an ancient Autobot colony uh, in the episode of Cosmic Rust. So once again, John Barber doing a deep pull uh, from past uh, Transformers fiction and lore and incorporating that into the new IDW uh, continuity. So that was just an interesting uh, little uh, tidbit to see in this episode. Uh, but the episode in general was a fun one. It, it's focused on Perceptor and uh, his his scientific knowledge and and expertise. That's what uh, um, what drives this episode. He's invented Corastop, a uh, an anti rust agent, and uh, Autobots, being benevolent folks that they are, they're just using it to coat the Earth's uh, monuments with this uh, with this uh, alloy, so that. They can preserve, be preserved for all time. So the Autobots are just swell guys. They want to uh, help out the human race to pres- preserve their history. So <laughs> that was that was interesting. And then Megatron uh, contracting a uh, a rust disease was was really uh, interesting. It, it made me think also of the old G one comics where they had another disease in the comics called Scraplets, and it was a it was a similar idea where. The uh, it was a disease that actually affected living uh, metal beings, so living robots. Uh, in the comics, uh, the scraplets were actually tiny little robots that uh, were, you know, it was, the, it was the same idea of kind of microorganisms, but actually robotic microorganisms that uh, transformed into little nuts and bolts and screws, but embedded themselves in to the uh, the Autobots and Decepticons as uh, as parasitic organisms and. Here, uh, cosmic rust is the the actual organisms are not quite so uh, exciting, but they are they're just little uh, you know parasites that that feed off of the the rope the, the Autobots and Decepticons bodies. So uh, it's a similar idea. So it seems like the you know the writers of the cartoon had a, had a similar idea to the uh, Bob Budiansky writing in the comics, and they just uh, diverged in different uh, different ways. Um, one thing that that also struck me about this episode is that Megatron goes from just kind of mustache twirling Saturday morning cartoon villain to like kind of a he's a, he legit commits some war crimes here. Like he he uses germ warfare. He infects Perceptor uh, with this disease and then uses it to to spread to the other Autobots. Then on top of that, he has his heat ray weapon that actually uh that can actually uh, spread the disease quicker, and he turns that on the Autobots too. So I mean, he's really he's really kind of nasty here. Uh, actually, you know, causing germ warfare and actually trying to exacerbate this disease and make the Autobots suffer as much as possible. So it's a, it's a little a little disturbing to see how uh, how nasty Megatron got here in in this episode. Uh, of course, no one really remarks on it, but. Uh, and and his plan is thwarted uh, as as always, but it just struck me how uh, you know th- this this is definitely violating the Geneva Convention <laughs> in this episode, especially after uh, Perceptor cured Megatron's uh, disease in the first place. I mean th- that that's gratitude for you, huh? I mean I, I guess you shouldn't expect much from Megatron, but uh, to actually turn the disease on the Autobots and and try to really murder them in a nasty way i mean yeah it's it's war but (laughs) for some reason that just crosses the line with me i don't know why but 
but yeah, this is this is a fun episode, and of course, uh, at the end we get a we get another Superion uh, Menasaur fight. That's always fun to see the the la- the you know the season two later later day combiners uh, joining the fight. So uh, the Aerialbots and Stunicons there. Um, it's a you know so it was it was a fun episode. Uh, <laughs> minus the the germ warfare and and uh, war crimes. <laughs> And of course, you can catch Charles, aka Big C, along with the rest of the uh, Transmissions gang, over on the Transmissions podcast, uh, available just about everywhere you listen to this show. So search it out and give it a listen. It's a good show. Yeah, Megatron in this episode is particularly sinister, and we'll find out in uh, uh, not this next episode, but the one after that. Uh, there are some brutal fight scenes uh, due in this season. Uh, that you just don't quite expect from the Transformers cartoon uh, prior to the movie. So moving on, we're going to touch on Season 2, Episode 46, overall Episode 62, Starscream's Brigade. And this episode aired in January of 1986, and I know we haven't gotten into 1986 yet, but for consistency's sake, we're going to uh, keep the end of season two within this uh, 1985 conversation we've been having for quite a while. Um, this episode's written by uh, Michael Charles Hill. Uh, you'll last remember him from the episode The Gambler, uh, a few episodes back on this show. And for more on this episode, I'm going to toss it over to Christabella of Steel City Bots. Hey guys, it's Christabella from uh, Steel City Bots, and uh, we're here to, tonight, or today, or whenever you happen to be listening to this, to talk about <clears throat> uh, Starscream's Brigade from Season 2 of Transformers. The, we, I, if memory serves, the episode started off with a flashback to, the, to World War II, uh, and I, uh, somewhere in the South Pacific. If memory serves, it was Guadalcanal. Uh... I think that's how, that's how you say that. Yeah, that's how you say that. Uh, where we see um, some Chekhov's guns, <clears throat> I mean, uh, vehicles get crashed or otherwise destroyed, uh, where they just remain for uh, roughly 40 years. Um, we then take a cut to Decepticon HQ, where uh, the, uh, the married couple, I mean, Starscream and Megatron, what's the difference? are having a lover's spat uh, over the fact that Megatron favors Shockwave. And I mean, of course, it's Shockwave. Who, who, who wouldn't favor Shockwave? I mean, he's, he's, he's so perfect. But I digest. Shockwave this! Shockwave that! All I ever hear about is how great Shockwave is! Uh, of course, you know, it's Megatron and Starscream, so of course, Megatron, so of course, uh, Starscream's gonna just shoot Megatron right there in the back and declare himself the new leader, which I think happens, what, every other episode, or... At least every other episode, I believe. Um, of course, Megatron, being Megatron, he gets up really quickly and, uh, beats the tar out of Starscream. So he, uh, runs, so he tries to get away, because, you know, G1 Starscream, like most Starscreams, is a coward. Megatron, pew-pew, or... Maybe we're like, Phoom! I, I, I love how his blaster sounds in G1, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, he shoots him down, and Megatron gets laser beak to carry him away, and where he happens to get dumped at Guadalcanal. 
a, apparently a good place for dumping unwanted uh, vehicles. But anyway, with that humiliation, having suffered that humiliation, uh, Starscream this quickly discovers the remnants of those same vehicles we saw crashed in the uh, in the opening scene, which he uh, decides to use to create his own army of five vehicles. Because, yes, um, five wrecked World War II uh, army vehicles against the entire evil forces of the Decepticons. That's, that's it's going to work out in your favor there. Good, good work there, Patton. I, anyway, uh, so, of course, to do this, he needs a, a something, a MacGuffin. Which just so happens in this episode to be personality components. He uh, forces his way past the guards at the the space bridge and goes to Cybertron, where he breaks into the uh, the which is an area that seems to be um, the HR department of the Decepticons. I mean, it's like seriously, it, it is like this is where Transformers the Office would be because there's filing cabinets. And everything. It's it's weird. I I I, I anyway. Um, he finds those components, which uh, I think were like pink cubes, which were like I think kind of like tiny energon cubes. He gets those components and returns to Earth and puts them inside of the vehicles, which immediately turn into robots. Which okay, I just want to say he, when they they're I can okay I can buy. That he that this is a thing you can put the components in a car, and it will turn into a robot. Sure, okay. Even though we saw that, in order for Megatron to do this, Megatron to do this when he built the Stunticons, he had to like take them apart and like <clears throat> add robot bits and yeah. So consistency. What's that? What 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 is this word? <laughs> um, but. Uh, so that, okay, I can, I'll buy that, sure. G1, it's goofy, it's fun, sure. But, that only do, they, they get repaired, is, is what I'm trying to say. Like, like, they go from junker destroyed vehicle to robot to a pristine version of the same said vehicle. Now, I know what it sounds like, I know it sounds like I'm trashing on the Combaticons, and I am not. The Combaticons are by far, far and away, my favorite combiner team. And I'm going on a tangent here. I apologize. Um, I'll try and keep this quick. Some of the first Transformers we got growing up, they were my brother's first, admittedly, were the uh, R.I.D. Combaticons. So I've always, always loved the Combaticons. You too, right, bro? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, we've always loved the Combaticons. So I am, we, I am in no way harping on them trying to bash on them. It's just this scene it, from a... I keep trying to apply real-world logic to G1, and it, I shouldn't. It hurts my brain. Um, but anyway, move, moving along. I apologize. Um, so, you know, they transform, and uh, and they, they're kind of mad at Starscream because they kind of think their bodies look like crap. And, yeah, I mean... I don't know what their original ones look like, but I'm I'm assuming that compared to what they originally looked like and they look like now, they're probably right. And so, of course, they naturally they threaten to uh, beat the ever-loving scrap out of Starscream 
until he shows them, or reveals the truth, that their bodies do not yet contain energy absorbers. <laughs> the fact that I have not equipped you with energy absorbers. Without them, you cannot refuel. No energy, no life. And now, this is where we get to something that's interesting. We, uh, see Jazz and Cliffjumper are making public appearances at... The un at the reveal unveiling of an Optimus Prime memorial. That's interesting that it's a memorial to Optimus. Some serious foreshadowing going on there. Like, I I did not catch that uh, on my first on my every any time I've ever watched it. I did not catch that it was a memorial. Like that didn't click. Uh, where Star Starscream and the and his brigade they attack and uh. Jazz and Cliff Jumper get sucked into Vortex. Oh, I should probably have mentioned the Combaticons' names. We have Vortex, who is a helicopter, Blastoff, who is a space shuttle for some reason, which, I mean, I, I'm, okay, not, I'm not going to tangent, I'm not going to tangent. Uh, we have uh, Brawl, who is a tank, who, I like, I like Brawl. Um, then there's Swindle. I think Swindle may be my favorite of the Combaticons. I have my own original headcanon there. If you want to know about that, ask me on Twitter. Uh, and then you have the leader, Onslaught. Oh, I forgot to mention alt modes. Uh, Brawl turns it, Vortex is a helicopter. Uh, I think I already said that. Uh, Brawl is a tank. Swindle is a a jeep. And Onslaught is a... I don't know what that's called. It's a gun... I just call it gun flatbed truck thing. Which I don't remember even seen one of those in real life. Like, it, it, anyway. Um, so they get... Those two get sucked into Vortex, um, and, yeah, because apparently two full-size Autobots can fit inside of a helicopter. Reasons. Um, so we cut back to the Decepticon base, where Shockwave has informed Megatron that the Combaticons' um, personality component thingies are missing, and they assume it's the Autobots, because, I mean, kind of reasonable, though I am questioning why there's no security because that's essentially like what that was like a, what, a maximum security prison essentially for uh for decepticons so why why there's not even like you know a surveillance camera I, I don't know uh the autobots while that's happening have uh, they've learned of the attack at, at the memorial again memorial i i stress that i stress that memorial is something you do after someone's dead not and they assume it's Megatron. So uh, when they when the Decepticons attack, the Autobots are confused when Megatron uh, demands the the personality components. And Optimus, you know, he's like, "Give me, give me my, give me my dudes." And I guess for some reason, Megatron decides that this must be Starscream's fault. So once the Decepticons have fled, the Autobots go and they they uh, consult Teletran One for the for the information on these components. Renegade Decepticons are political prisoners detained on Cybertron. Under direct orders from Megatron, Shockwave had their personality components removed from their structures. The structures were subsequently destroyed. Until yesterday, the personality components were stored in the Decepticon Detention Center. At this point, Starscream and the Combaticons are gonna, they attack the other Decepticons while they're trying to fill up. Uh, with and with, and they only got, got partially filled. Meg 
Megatron and his guys, they gotta, they gotta run away again. Which lets Starscream capture Dirge and Ramjet. Look! Two more Transformers to add to our collection! Which means that uh, they now have four energy absorbers. Uh, so... Megatron and his he moves against Starscream and his troops, and during the battle, Megatron uh, pulls out a dev pulls it out a Devastator. But that's when Starscream pulls out a Bruticus. Woo! Bruticus! <laughs> Best combiner. Uh, <laughs> Bruticus is great. I just every time he's on screen, I just I, I'm so happy. Bruticus is like my son. There, there are many that fit that description, but anyway, um, who Bruticus beats the crap out of Devastator, and then, uh, then Bruticus grabs Megatron like all King Kong style, and uh, Starscream makes him acknowledge him as the new leader. The Autobots use the this distraction to rescue their their guys, while the Stunicons get there, and so they uh they they combine. And the Menasaur, who uh, goes all One Punch Man on my boy Bruticus, and uh, and uh, it makes a crater in the ground, which Megatron grabs Starscream by the throat because you know they're 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 robots, so of course grabbing them by the throat they'll be able to, they 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 won't be able to breathe. What? And uh, yeah, they banish them from Earth. Landing, uh, putting them on an, uh, put, they're put on Astro Train and left on an asteroid. Uh, before that, though, Megatron does the way he says Bruticus in this. Megatron does it's, it's hilarious. It's it's, it's mocking and it's great. He's he doesn't say Bruticus. He says Bruticus. No, Starscream, not Bruticus. Yeah, so they uh, they get dumped on the asteroid. Starscream swears vengeance. And we get our uh, our end credits, but um, I just want to go over some some of my thoughts. I've always loved combiners. Combiners have been just my favorite thing, and Bruticus is by the Combaticons are by far my favorite combiner team. Just this this is this is probably among one of my more favorite episodes of the of the, of G one, just for that. All in all, I think it was just, you know, a really good episode. Not the best. There's certainly some animation errors. That's G1. That's to be expected. I did enjoy that they showed, like, the the World War II scene, like, right at the very beginning. Just, you know, that adds a little bit to it. I don't know. I just kind of liked it. Combiners will always have a special place in my heart. And episodes where combiners are introduced, especially so. Until next time, this has been Christabella. Bayonara. And you can catch Chris and the rest of the gang from Steel City Bots over on the Nerdy Geek Talk Network, available just about everywhere you listen to this podcast. And uh, check it out, because there are a bunch of uh, 25 and under Transformers fans who do have a very unique perspective on the brand. So uh, a couple things I wanted to note in this episode uh, that Chris didn't touch on. Uh, a couple of small things. Uh, Megatron and Starscream's fight for leadership. Uh, we talked about foreshadowing with the uh, Optimus Prime Memorial statue, uh, but this fight between Megatron and Starscream, especially given that the episode aired in 1986, even though these characters debuted uh, earlier in uh, 
aerial assault, whereas this episode chronologically probably takes place before that, uh, certainly takes place before that. Uh, it's interesting to see the, the Starscream Megatron fight being drummed up here because uh, it's important heading into 1986. Another thing, uh, when Megatron banishes Starscream, Laserbeak carries him off. How strong is Laserbeak? Uh, Starscream turns into an F-14. That is a big plane. Uh, Laserbeak is a cassette-sized bird. So uh, you do the math there. Uh, also worth noting, and this comes from uh, the folks over at TF Wiki, the original shooting script actually called for the Combaticons to be in uh, rusty, battered versions of themselves while waiting for their energy absorbers. Um, that probably also explains a little bit of the World War II wrecks becoming modern vehicles, but it is a little odd because Blastoff does start as a uh, bomber before turning into a space shuttle, and Vortex does start off as a, uh, a Japanese Zero before turning into a helicopter. You know, we mentioned in Cosmic Rust about Megatron being uh, pretty dark in that episode. Uh, Starscream here is essentially getting compliance from the Combaticons by starving them. And finally, uh, if you like uh, Combiners, this episode is a good one because there is a great combiner fight including uh the one between bruticus and devastator bruticus, devastate, devastator. also worth noting here is that uh, the end of this episode ends with just the decepticons fighting each other the autobots really don't do anything and technically menasaur saves the day now this episode isn't really the first part of a two-parter but uh, these two episodes do go hand-in-hand, hand, much like uh, Child's Play and The Gambler. Before it, uh, Revenge of Bruticus, which is the next episode we'll talk about, Season 2, Episode 47, overall Episode 63 by Larry Strauss, uh, does pick up right where this episode, uh, The Starscream's Brigade, left off. And this one starts with the Combaticons and Starscream Stranded on the asteroid. Uh, they're all running low on energy and Starscream decides to transform and leave. Blastoff, however, is towing the asteroid towards Cybertron. On Cybertron, Shockwave is testing out his Sentinel Guards, which is a new design on the Sentinels that we saw in the search for Alpha Trion. Here, um, we have a, a brutal, brutal fight. Oh, that's brutal between uh, the Combaticons, uh, who decide to land on Cybertron, form Bruticus. Uh, they grab Shockwave, King Kong style, and Shockwave transforms and shoots Bruticus in the face. Oh, that's brutal. Bruticus falls over onto a bunch of Sentinels, which he then cuts up using Vortex's uh, helicopter blade located on his shoulder. Oh, that's brutal. For some reason, Shockwave is stuck in gun mode, so Bruticus picks him up, and uses him to shoot all of the Sentinels, then loads the transformed Shockwave into his uh, shoulder-mounted, well, back-mounted uh, cannons, and uh, fires him off into space. Now, before we, we go in further into the story, uh, this is one of those things that actually has been uh, recreated in modern times. So in the 2016 Transformers toy line, Combiner Wars, uh, they made a... Legends scale figure of Shockwave, a smaller figure, 
uh, that the combined form of Bruticus can hold and can mount on his back. So, little trivia tidbit there for you. On Earth, uh, the Insecticons, they're eating a city, because what else do Insecticons do? And the Autobots arrive, those Autobots being Trax, Prowl, Sideswipe, and Optimus Prime. The Insecticons spread to another city, and Optimus Prime calls in the Protectobots. This is their first appearance, and there is no explanation or origin for them. Uh, according to TF Wiki, so uh, the Combiners generally would get an origin episode, but uh, these were introduced too late into the production run of Season 2 with the movie going on and everything else that they couldn't really write them up a proper introduction. So they just kind of shoehorned them into uh, this episode and uh, one other. Back at Autobot headquarters, uh, Spike and Perceptor are watching space, and in space, uh, though not under the eye of those two, uh, Shockwave collides with Starscream. I mean, what are the odds of that? Uh, but he does, and uh, Shockwave and Starscream chat, realize that the Combaticons have taken over Cybertron, and Shockwave is going to ride Starscream back to Cybertron on the outside. Now, on Cybertron, the Combaticons are planning some revenge on Megatron and the planet Earth, and they're planning on making planet Earth collide with the sun using Onslaught's uh, backpack guns to somehow fire on Earth and move it out of its orbit. At the uh, city where the Insecticons are attacking, the Protectobots have cleared the humans and the Autobots begin extermination. Perceptor informs Optimus of the Earth moving closer to the sun, and Optimus decides it's a good time to head to the Space Bridge, go to Cybertron, and do something about it, but before he can, Shrapnel steals the control mechanism to the space bridge and burrows underground. Back on Cybertron, Shockwave uses some holograms, particularly gargoyles, to wear down the Combaticons and drain them of their energy. Uh, Shockwave and Starscream then discover the Combaticons' plans, but before Shockwave can start to reverse it, Starscream shoots him in the back. Uh, because he thinks this is a pretty good plan. Starscream then FaceTimes with a Megatron to rub it in, uh, and then the Combaticons realize the ruse of the Gargoyles and walk in on both Shockwave and Starscream fighting and imprison them both. On Earth, the temperature's rising, fires are everywhere, and this sounds terribly familiar in 2018. However... Everyone happens to stumble on the Insecticons at the same time with the control panel. Oh no! There's the control panel! But the Insecticons have chewed it up! Dun dun dun! Foiled by Hungry Hungry Insecticons once again. But Perceptor realizes uh, as the Insecticons flee without the control panel that, the, that he can fix it, uh, but he's going to need some parts. Optimus Prime decides that he will donate some parts if Megatron does as well. Megatron agrees, but has some pretty severe instructions for Ramjet. Ramjet, if this Autobot Coat does anything suspicious, shatter his lenses from the inside. Man, like I said, brutal. Oh, that's brutal. Back in the cities of Earth, the Protectobots are keeping the humans cool by uh, putting them in the freezer at Metro Meat Pacing. 
Yes, pacing. I think there's a letter missing. Uh, the Autobots and Decepticons, they uh, team up and go to Cybertron. As they are walking around, they free Starscream and Shockwave before fighting the Combaticons and the Sentinel Guard. The Combaticons form Bruticus, and we find out, much like the Aerialbots, Bruticus is an angry teenager. Bruticus hates Cybertron! Bruticus hates you more! Bruticus no have to listen to you! You not Bruticus real dad! And we find out that Starscream has built in a failsafe in order to stop Bruticus. There are three spots on his back! And that spot is just normally covered by Bruticus's uh, shoulder cannons uh, and backpack, which are what are moving Earth towards the sun. Prime takes those three spots out quickly and disables Bruticus. And finally, after 63 episodes, Sideswipe actually does something and moves Earth back towards its orbit. The Decepticons decide it's uh, only right if they destroy Bruticus and do so in front of the Autobots before letting the Autobots go home. And interesting voice change here. Uh, so Sideswipe and Prowl are both voiced by Michael Bell, but Michael Bell's voice uh, tends to be fairly similar from character to character. And here uh, we hear Prowl and then Sideswipe talking to one another as they leave. And Prowl is most certainly voiced by Michael Bell. And in this clip, it appears that Corey Burton is actually voicing Sideswipe. I still don't trust Negatron. Yeah, why did he just let us leave to rejoin our friends on Earth without even a blast for goodbye? And finally, we find out that Megatron and Starscream have a secret plan uh, to reprogram Bruticus that he hasn't been destroyed and that in the eyes of Megatron, Starscream has been redeemed. And that takes us to... Season 2, episode 48, overall episode 64, Masquerade by Donald F. Glute. This episode actually aired in 1985, uh, long before any of the episodes we've talked about in this podcast. So uh, before Cosmic Rust, the first episode we talked about today, uh, but also before War Dawn, which we spoke about uh, a few episodes back. In this episode, Megatron, once again, is uh, building his MacGuffin. Uh, they don't actually name it, but uh, he does send the Stunticons out for parts. Wild Rider and Breakdown, uh, they steal laser lenses. Dead End and Dragstrip steal uh, an experimental generator. And Motormaster steals, quote, the world's biggest and most perfect ruby. The Autobots catch wind and Inferno grapple and hoist, uh, head out and stop Wild Rider and Breakdown, including a little bit of punnery. A near miss deserves a couple of near missiles! Dragstrip and Dead End are stopped by Warpath and Trax, while Motormaster takes on Bumblebee, Optimus Prime, and Blaster. Optimus uh, needs to play a game of chicken with Motormaster. The two collide head-on, but Optimus wins. They take the Stunticons back to the Autobot base as prisoners and at the base. News of the first robbery includes an interview with the first victim. And at first I thought those driverless cars were Autobots. Wild, huh, Optimus? Stunticons mistake it for Autobots? Yeah, real wild, Spike. In fact, so wild that it happened back in the Key to Vector Sigma 
which you can hear a few episodes back as well. Optimus. Optimus has a plan, and that plan includes some camouflage paint and a holographic projector. Here, we see uh, Jazz and Sideswipe get painted. Windcharger gets uh, disguised via the uh, hologram. And the Autobots' plan is underway, and the four disguises are explained by Ratchet, who, in this case, is not being voiced by his usual voice actor, Don Messick, uh, but instead voiced by series voice director, Wally Burr. They're ready, Optimus. The new Staticons. Breakdown, alias Sideswipe. Dead End, alias Jazz. Wild Rider, alias Windcharger. And Dragstrip? Dragstrip, a.k.a. Mirage. And rounding out the Staticons, Optimus Prime is disguised as Motormaster. The Autobots, disguised as Staticons, then sneak into the canyon where the Decepticons are building their weapon, and Starscream is instantly suspicious. Back at Autobot headquarters, the Stunticons uh, find a way to escape their prison uh, and escape the base and head out as Menasaur to warn Megatron. Megatron has completed building his super ray gun thing, and uh, the real Menasaur arrives, and unlike previous episodes, like a prime problem, uh, this one is not going to be decided with a race. Fake Menasaur, uh, in order to prove he is real, uh, combines as well, and the Menasaurs fight. And uh, in this, we find out that Windcharger is faking the combination using his magnetic powers. Uh, and for some reason, Mirage is somehow creating Menasaur's face, um, which means he has Hound's holographic powers. Uh, and it's it's interesting to note here because those got swapped in the cartoon, uh, but in some of the ancillary fiction that we've talked about, like the coloring books and and some other things, sometimes Mirage has the holographic abilities and Hound has the turning invisible abilities. But eventually during this fight, uh, the Autobots fall apart and lose their disguises. Megatron starts firing his uh, new special laser uh, made out of the pieces that the Stunticons had stolen previously, but something's wrong with it. The machine appears unstable. Suggest abandoning it. Suggestion noted and ignored. And way to ignore. Some advice from a trusted advisor, Megatron. Of course, the MacGuffin machine uh, explodes just as Autobot reinforcements arrive, and the Decepticons flee, and we find out that Ironhide had sabotaged the ruby before the Autobots had left the base. Now, for a little bit more and a little bit more insight into this episode, I uh, tapped a good friend of mine, uh, and that would be my buddy Dave from D-Squared Productions. Uh, you may remember his song for Heavy Metal War uh, way back at the beginning of this uh, podcast life. You may be familiar with some of his work, as of right now, uh, for those of you who are 18 and older, he is nominated with some prestigious company uh, for an AVN award for his uh, musical work in the adult film Hamilton. Hey, trans lovers, D squared here. Uh, my buddy Anthony asked me to put together some some thoughts on the Masquerade episode that aired at the end of season two, right before the movie came out. And if you remember the movie, I don't want to spoil too much, but a lot of people died. And the Stunticons in this episode that are featured, I'm so surprised didn't make the cut or get cut because they're terrible. 
Uh, they used to perform stunts, I guess, via control from Megatron, but he's abandoned that completely, and I guess he just needed more people to help him rob stuff. So <laughs> he sends them after lenses. He sends them after jewels. I need some glasses. I need some some rubies. Can you get these for me? So they do his bidding in, in typical fashion. Um, and what they definitely do excel at, though, are, are puns. They have some fantastic puns. Uh, including, a near miss deserves a couple of near missiles. And, I'll make that hot rod even hotter. I guess they'll put a bra on that car or, um, or, or just burn it. So, he sends the Stunticons on a mission to, to retrieve these, these items so that he could build a, a laser. Surprise! <laughs> Every episode is some kind of laser. Uh, this one's a big one. This one's a really strong one. So, he needs a ruby and he needs some kind of lens to, uh, to help complete this this machine that he's putting together. So the Autobots intercept the Stunticons and cleverly disguise themselves as the Stunticons. And what starts as a simple paint job somehow distorts their size, shape, and color in one fail swoop. And now they are these guys and they're they're intercepting the mission. And uh, together they form Menasaur and I guess that's one of the things that clues off Starscream to the fact that they're they don't seem exactly who they who they appear to be. Um, their voices are completely different. That's that's number one, and he picks up on that one right away. So they begin to test him. Starscream and Soundwave both kind of chime in. They they've got special powers. They can transform into Menasaur. They can shoot these certain types of blasters. Um, I know for a fact Menasaur has a birthmark on his external hard drive. Um, you know, personal things. So, long story short, plan gets foiled. And the one thing I'm gleaming from this more than anything is that these stories, you know, the more I reflect on them as an adult and watch them over again, they're really just unrequited love, friendship, and leadership stories from the perspective of Megatron, and his people just don't seem to care. The very first frame, Starscream is already undermining him. You fool! This will never work! Um, he's just such a jerk. And at any point when the battle seems to not go their way, everyone just scatters and is like, you're on your own, man, see ya! And he's just left holding his ray gun, and uh, it's just, it's kind of sad. It's, it's just kind of sad. And despite the ending being kind of sad, this episode does have a bit of a legacy. Uh, a lot of people love the fact that uh, these Autobots combined, and we've come close to getting uh, Autobot versions of these characters that could combine, um, using the Prime Wars trilogy of the last few years from the Generations line. Uh, there is an Optimus body. There is a Mirage. There is a Jazz from Power of the Primes. However, there has not been a Sideswipe just yet. There has been a Sunstreaker. There is a Wind Charger in that series of toys, but not one that can combine. But it also carries on a little further within the toy lines as these Autobots and Decepticons tend to get swapped out for each other in terms of color scheme uh, with toy design. So often a Mirage will be repainted into a drag strip or vice versa. Um, same goes for Jazz and Dead End uh, and Optimus and Motormaster. It's been done many times 
with I think just about all five of these. Yeah, breakdown and and sideswipe as well. And that brings us to the season finale, the final episode of Generation One, Season Two, Episode Forty Nine, Overall Episode Sixty Five. Bot. That's B dot O dot T. It's an acronym. Bot by Earl Cress. And for more on that, I'm gonna toss it over to my buddy Gabriel Owens, the salty seaman. The shackles of automaton will shatter like the bones. One zero 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 one 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 zero one zero one. Evoke Salty Seaman here reviewing BOT Bot. A uh, couple of uh, interesting points on this episode going in uh number one uh one of the ones i remember from uh you know the very tale in the season two as a kid i don't some of those episodes like i remember very clearly some i just like i don't remember at all uh like aerial assault uh, i do not remember whatsoever of course more important ones um, like uh you know war dawn uh you know both the combaticon origins episodes one of which I've reviewed on my own channel. If you ever want to check out uh, a military standpoint of Starscream's Brigade, uh, go check out the Salty Seaman uh, YouTube page. Anyway, uh, but th- this one I, I of course I, I definitely remember because I was a big Swindle fan. Which I, he's also an aerial assault, uh, but uh, the, I don't I don't think I, I either missed that as a kid and didn't see it as an adult, or I saw it once and it just didn't stick with me. But this one I do. And uh, I definitely remember, like, because of the swindle aspect, really liking the episode. And, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't, if you talk about something that doesn't hold up, I think this is one of them. Uh, this is, uh, poor, you, you could call this uh, one of the worst episodes, if not the worst episode of uh, G1. And a lot of people would disagree with you. A lot of people would, would even consider this in the running. But uh, rewatch it and really wa- and really pay attention. It's it, it, it's bad in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, the, the there used to be a botcon. There was a crew of guys who would do tra- who would do mystery science theater style of the episodes. They did the movie, uh, and I remember one of them, uh, M. Cipher, just uh, one of the main writers. Like he did bot, he did this episode, and it was like the he he nearly lost his mind because he had to watch it over and over again to to write the script. And it quickly became his least favorite episode of all time. And he would rant and rave uh, back in the day to anyone who would listen to how bad this episode is. Uh, it's been a few years since, I remember, uh, since I've last seen it. I also, of course, can't forget to mention it. It was the last episode of, uh, of season two. And the last episode of what a lot of people would call the golden era of G1. A lot of people who, you know, that's their Transformers is the cartoon 84 to 85. So yeah, in terms of going out that way, you know, right before the movie hits and they completely change everything, it Lord, it was a bad way for that era to go away. (laughs) So we have the opening scene that establishes the rest of the plot, such as it is. Um, So the Combaticons show up in robot mode. Okay. They're in downtown. Um, Then they, uh, Onslaught gives the order to transform. So they turn into vehicle mode. They are causing havoc and disruption because there's giant robots turning into cars. 
going down uh, the main street of whatever town we're in. And then they form, then Onslaught orders them to form Bruticus. Now, we're never given any idea what they were doing down there. There's never, they, they were they stealing fuel? Are they, are they trying to uh, uh, find some secret bit of technology? There, there was always a reason that they would be anywhere. This was, we get no reason. We get a toy advertisement for Bruticus that we see all their modes. And then Defensor just kind of shows up out of nowhere. We've got no explanation for Defensor or the protective bots. The poor protective bots, in terms of fiction, have been one of the most screwed over of the uh, you know first couple of years, especially all, you know all the other Scramble City uh, combiners get some kind of origin uh, cartoons and comics. Somehow the Protectobots missed both, and they both both times they just kind of show up. I think they were so like maybe their stuff came in last minute, and they just didn't have time to set up an origin for them. So they're just they're just there. Uh, you'll see in the next year's comics along with this episode. Not only that, they show up, blows Bruticus to bits, one shot. It's it's amazing. It's like this character they'd kind of been building up over the last few episodes as is, you know, he's the new badass in town, blah, blah, blah. And now we've got even a newer set of toys, I mean characters, and he just takes him out in one shot. Oh, also, by the way, he's supposed to be a, you know, he's a, he's a, uh, you know, rescue team, not really a combat team, but, uh, yeah, they've, they're an incredibly high power, uh, firepower, uh, rescue team here. And again, no, no explanation who Defensor is, you know, what's going on with him. He shows up and he kind of, he like walks away immediately, like almost, uh, Sentai style. And he tells them to call sanitation and clean up the mess. And we see Swindle pop out and he's immediately worried, like, how am I going to get parts for my guys? And, oh, it's, it's, it, it, it's a horrible, horrible, bad opening. Uh, Earl Cress wrote this and this looks, if you ask him if he was rushed to write this, he would probably tell you very so we get our plot, uh, I, I, we get our plot uh, other than the Combaticons and Megatron's going to blow up the moon, which he, he, we're only thing we're, we, we just don't get him twirling a little mustache. Now this plot is, uh, you know, ridiculous, uh, impossible to control. This their plan to gather the energy. Uh, I don't see how this is going to work. And it's also very similar to what they already did in the Ultimate Doom. This is... This is a the this is the laziest plot line and most rec, you know basically one of the most recycled ideas. This this is just such a lazily done episode. Uh, not to mention you know with a continuity error, it's like Swindle shows up to prepare the rest of the Combaticons, and then he leaves having sold off a bunch of their important parts to this uh, shady dictator guy. A uh, couple questions, couple questions. What does Swindle do with human money? Is that what he's getting paid in? Uh, or fuel? Why, why does he care? He's, he can kind of, st- if, even if he's on his own, he can kind of steal what he needs. 
And I know he like it's kind of his character. He's he's the art of the deal guy. Uh, you know he love you know he's he, he's not really into the war stuff. That's cool and all, but it's like he, it, with Earthlings, it doesn't seem like people he really needs to barter with. Uh, and for what? We're not really made clear. And why did the deal change? And why don't we ever get a uh, a reason why? Uh, just yeah. Just so much. It's just one of those episodes where it's just like, what? What is the point? Uh, Skywarp shows up to uh, the Combaticons base, finds a bunch of parts, and he starts following the trail at Megatron's bequest, which is, which implies Swindle went back to the Combaticon headquarters for some reason after the junkyard after the first meeting, and then kept going. Okay, I'm I'm adding I'm I'm definitely adding too much logic to this. It doesn't really make sense. Also, kind of an interesting little bit where uh, Megatron kind of makes a a a division between Combaticons and uh, Decepticons as if they're separate instead of a sub faction, and they do that very inconsistently throughout the first couple seasons. I think in season three as well. You know, the Insecticons kind of get that treatment at times. Uh, So. that's kind of interesting. They also obviously have their second base. Of course, by uh, season three, they any anything to do with that would be dropped. They would just all be Decepticons and not so much made of their uh, their, their subgroups. And I, I guess kudos to Swindle to being uh, uh, somewhat of a protect-the-environment guy. I don't know why he cares so much where the parts go. He put them in their proper place, a junkyard. You know, while at the same time being incredibly clumsy and their parts are just kind of scattering over, um, it's nothing. A little, if you guys, I understand Cypher's frustration more and more uh, watching this is like, if you were to look at it, nothing, nothing in this episode makes sense at any turn. And we get a, 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 a cart, very cartoonishly fun little bit here. Uh, they cap, they, they grab Swindle figure out what he's done. They're like, Hey, no, I've, you know, we need, obviously Megatron doesn't care for the Combaticons, but, uh, apparently he appreciates using Bruticus's might. So he's like, no, I need Bruticus for this plan. Uh, he'd shown earlier the simulation of Bruticus riding on Astra train, uh, <laughs> and blowing up the moon. It's like a cowboy. I don't know. I said, no, again, nothing, nothing making sense here. So, uh, speaking of not making sense, they're like, well, if you do not reassemble Bruticus in 15 hours, we're going to blow up your head, which, uh, you know, if I remember the episode, they're not bluffing. That thing really will blow up his head, which of course would negate Bruticus as well, since Swindle's part of Bruticus. So it's kind of a self-defeating plan. Like Megatron's just willing, if he can't meet a, uh, arbitrary deadline, he's willing just to throw away the idea of Bruticus altogether. I sleep on it. I don't know. Cut to a scene of Swindle stealing back parts. And uh, we cut to a Middle Eastern area. Man, the latter half of season two really, really, really like just jumping on the, uh, I mean, given the time, the, uh, the time it was written, you know, that was a, like it is now Middle East. Uh, it, was, it was in the news quite a bit. Um, this is, you know, it seemed to be a safe target, I guess, for television uh, shows to, uh, to to pick on. And for for whatever reason, Transformers just has a, a long history of five, six episodes. Uh, 
of just uh, this this one's not as bad at least it's not centric but uh yeah it would uh cause a cast member to leave the show but uh you know I, we will get to that uh and we'll get to that when that episode comes to us uh swindle uh, also rob uh, apparently uh sold to the russians and he's uh He's taking theirs back too. Uh, we confirm that they they paid him in rubles. Uh, again, what is Swindle going to do with rubles? I don't know. Uh, but he he comes back to Megatron's. Like, look, I got everyone together. Hey, look, we're uh, we're cool. So, all right, transform to Bruticus. Can't do it. You see, Swindle kind of. There's a problem about the, the most uh, a saving grace of this, ep- of this episode. I think as this little bit. Uh, still feeding into complete illogical fallacies, but it's still kind of funny. You know, Swindle is obviously trying to hide the fact that Brawl is essentially uh, uh, a uh, just a remote control robot. He has no personality component. And they try to form Bruticus, and I fairly... Uh, it's badly animated, but it's just a weird scene of like what happens when a, 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 a combiner, a gestalt, cannot combine... So we kind of see that it's it's it, it's pretty funny, and of course he he admits to Megatron he couldn't find Bruticus's personality component, uh, which uh, he just kind of says I didn't think he'd need it, you know, just implying, you know, Brawl's an idiot, you know, never didn't it didn't uh, occur to him he actually needed his uh his brain so to speak. So that that one that that whole bit's a little bit funny. I don't know if it saves the rest of this episode. So the episode cuts to a school where there is a, looks like a high school uh, science class of some sort. A, a teacher is giving a uh, demonstration on a, how a laser works. Uh, the laser goes off. It's obviously uh, way overpowered for what he said it was. It turns out the uh, these science hooligans in the class have, you know, basically created a uh, a murder ray. This this if, if this thing was pointed in the wrong direction could have killed uh, dozens uh so another fun part of, of this episode uh v- very briefly uh if you're eagle-eyed or if you pause right at the uh when we see the entire class you will see very briefly two care two model sheets straight from jim and the holograms in the classroom which just goes to feed my theory that sunbow uh swiped uh they went back and forth swiping model sheets from each other, uh, no matter what, who was working on what, you know, if you needed something, because it's all in the, the styles are all basically the same, which makes a lot of that interchangeable between, especially between Joe, Transformers, and Jim, they all seem to be kind of in the same style-ish, uh, and, and as earlier, and when an earlier episode I reviewed where it's a season two episode where one of the reporters is just absolutely season three uh, Spike. The, uh, the, the teacher slash professor for this uh, class, by the way, is very obviously uh, Bumblebee's voice actor. And it's uh, it's one of those things, even as a kid, if you were like maybe not even paying attention, you heard him, you would think like, oh, that's Bumblebee talking. And you look over and know oh, it's some, uh, some random human. As uh, the two boys uh, get their assignment for, uh, you know, to basically pass the course or due to their screw up, you know, it's typical uh, high school college plot, whatever. Uh, we see the first of what it turns out to be foreshadowing. The school has enormous doors. I mean, this is a, just a science classroom at a school and it looks like a 20 foot high door. Uh, no, this, this is not an animation error. This is, uh, 
uh, required by the plot, as we'll, we'll get to. So it leads to uh, the two boys leave. They meet up with uh, some girl. I don't. This it, this feels like a uh, a sneaked in plot for a uh, a pilot uh, that maybe Chris was writing for a spinoff. I don't know with these three, but uh, they go by just happen to go by a giant high rise fire, and now we get to see the Protectobots in action. Uh, you know, this is the selling point. This this is their selling point for their toys. Uh, we would get some. We get some action with first aid. Uh, basically, ripping off the lifeline character from GI Joe. Both are remade at the same time with the same character arc. Uh, regardless, getting ahead of myself, but th- they would get a little bit more in season three, basically. Uh, but here, this is this is like, hey, you know, we, we've shown you Defensor, we've shown you the toys. Look, they're cool rescue guys. Uh, Ratchet, or not Ratchet. Uh, first aid at one point catches people falling out of a building, hundreds of stories down, in his arms. So, uh, like uh, Ant mentioned last episode, I guess Autobots have some uh, some really soft exteriors, which uh, at, at the velocity they catch humans at times. So for their uh, their makeup science project, the uh, the kids go uh, to the junkyard, grab a bunch of parts, which is where they're going to get Brawl's personality component. So thank God Swindle cared about uh, putting things in their proper place and not littering even when he was littering and sent that sent their stuff to the dump where the kids could easily find it. The leaps of logic to make this episode work are, uh, are, are quite ingenious. Uh, we also get a overly long explanation of what bot stands for, uh, biotronic operational telecommunicator. If you must know. So the kids are fiddling around trying to build this bot robot, you know, they, um, and then they said, Hey, I, I got weird, meter readings off this thing we've got let's try installing it this makes total sense so this is basically where bronze personality component gets installed in this uh speaking of the exterior of the robot is a very uh kind of 50s 60s ish uh you know evil robot kind of uh design (laughs) of course matches when they put brawl's personality component in of course brawl being a uh just a a a lout a, a violent hooligan Starts immediately trashing the lab, uh, knocks over some chemicals at the chem- at the commercial break, which causes uh, you know a, a giant explosion as uh, as chem- as the chemistry sets and uh, schools usually do. So uh, Bot escapes, aka Brawl, uh, uh, out of the uh, school, punching giant holes through it. The kids like, oh, what? Well, we, what are we going to do? We need to catch him. He's like, oh, we'll get, let's call the Protectobots, and they. Uh, Basically, do a '80s phone modem hack, send out a distress symbol, distress signal, which uh, the Autobots here at Autobot headquarters, and uh, we also see uh, Swindle going looking for uh, Brawl's personality component at the junkyard. Gets immediate exposition. Maybe those kids took it. He says, "You better hope so," and he leaves and kind of, you know, passive aggressively throws over a piece of junk. I don't know. We don't know if he's like, well, what kids did he give them the address of these weird random kids that showed up? It's never explained how he knows what kids he's talking about and exactly where to get them. But moving on. So, uh, yeah, the uh, we have Ironhide, Gears, and uh, Bumblebee. A nice little trio of, uh, of OG G1 uh, 84 guys showing up here in the last episode of Season 2. Or as uh, uh, David uh, mentioned on... His review last episode. We don't get a lot of uh, a focus on any 84 guys 
this late in the season who get these three who are, uh, you know, they say, you're not the protective bots. They're, they're very disappointed to meet Autobots <laughs> who have uh, supposedly been heroes of this planet. Don't even recognize them. They're looking for the Protectobots. You know, who are you scrubs? And they're like, hey, we're all on the same team here. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess that's okay. It's, it, it's just another layer of uh, of needless exposition or dialogue. And it's, it, it's yes, it's, it's bot. So the Autobots enter the school and proceed to uh, try to contain bot but have a little success. And now we see why uh, in the earlier uh, shots, which I think are inconsistent. I think they shrink the, the doors do shrink in and out depending on who's in the scene. But uh, yeah, this uh, in order for this episode to work, the doors have to be 20 feet tall because, you know, iron hide it, it has to be able to pass through it. And there's a lot of animated cheating on it here and there, but uh it's you, you look at it and think about it, it. It's really, really ridiculous. As the uh, Autobots chase bot up this never ending uh, flight of fantasy stairs, large enough for three Autobots to walk up uh, nearly abreast of each other. Ironhide gives the great uh, leadership command of just start firing wildly up ahead of you with your advanced uh, robot weapons. Uh, surely this cannot lead to anything bad. And I mean, gosh darn it, the human created uh, robot up there is annoying me. So we end up with a very confusing fight. Swindle somehow is ahead of the Autobots at one point. Uh, there's a fight and they kind of, they, they, they leave and Swindle, Swindle leaves. The kids and uh, the trio of Autobots are standing there. The Autobots have to explain what Septicons and Combaticons are. And it's like, again, it's been like two years of these alien robots roaming the planet. The Autobots have to keep uh, explaining to humans who apparently do not pay any attention to the world around them what Autobots and Decepticons are. Swindle returns with Bronze uh, personality component. Uh, the Combaticons are once again whole. Megatron uh, presumably de deactivates the bomb, threatens Swindle with, with his life. He does it again. Finally, we get Reproducus combined. He takes off. Back to the kids who uh, decided they're going to track down that personality component that they figured out must have belonged to the Combaticons, a.k.a. Swindle. And they take off. They uh, they they kill Cliffjumper, it looks like, uh, scalp him, and then take his carcass into uh as they're homing in on the signal i'm just kidding they, they 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 have like a a very cliff jumperish looking uh uh car with a with no, with no top and through some very uh ridiculous reverse the polarity scientific gobbledygook the kids manage to listen in on the decepticons nefarious plan as their test run for blowing up the moon again uh, megatron's twirling his mustache uh, they're going to uh, first test it on the Autobot headquarters, uh, a.k.a. the Ark, uh, and the kids have to go warn them. So the kids, of course, tell the Autobots, and we leads to a big fight outside Autobot headquarters. Uh, we could see a lot of uh, some good action, if that's what you're into. Uh, a little bit of wheeljack porn here for Ant. No, he likes that part of the episode, if nothing else. And the battle continues. Uh, the Protector Boss performed Defensor, who has a pretty cool power. He has a uh, 
a protection force field that's like nearly impenetrable. The Autobots hide in there with him. Uh, makes sense. Defensor is a defensive uh, bot, even though we also saw he uh, his, his his thirst for blood uh, knows no bounds from the beginning of the episode. But uh, he, he forms a protective shield. The uh, kids figure out uh, they can still remote control their bot and are going to send him out to help the Autobots and control a, uh, a gun mount. And finally, we're led to a sequence that, that makes literal no sense of Bruticus takes control of the gun, the battery gun, shoots uh, shoots Defensor, he's knocked down into his component parts, and uh, but then the gun starts firing wildly for no reason that it's we can see as we were, we're shown Bruticus firing the gun many, many times. Uh, but then it suddenly goes crazy. And then we see the monitor where the kids are, uh, watching it and where they sent bot bot was there the entire time messing with the control panel at the feet, even though we don't see it till just now, it, it makes no sense. And the uh, Decepticons finally retreat. I guess they gave up on their moon plan. It's never made clear. And, uh, the Autobots, Thank the kids, and then the kids are like, "Well, it's great, and we want to, you know, maybe get some more spare parts." But then they have to suddenly leave as they tape up the uh, the girl's mouth because they are late for a BDSM party, and they're trying to get ready before uh, you know the uh, time to open the doors are. I suppose I don't know this. This episode is a mess. I have gone very, very long. It's just it, it, it's I didn't cover everything in this one. But in terms of if you are a person who really who feels the golden age is 84 to 85, that's your Transformers. Man, this was a bad note to go out on. Just, uh, I mean, toy advertisements are one thing. This is blatant toy adverts with very, very poor storytelling, animation. This was obviously, we need one more episode, and it was done slapshot in a hurry. Uh <laughs> It's, uh, what a way to go, uh, here, end of season two, end of 85 back to you, Ant. And of course you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel, the salty sea man over at youtube.com slash recharge one three eight. It is sad that the season two, the long, long season two goes out on such a bad episode. There are a few things worth uh mentioning some of it's just kind of fun uh but yeah this episode's pretty irredeemable but uh just to make a few notes this is the first appearance of defensor the combined form of the protectobots uh we did not see them combine in revenge of bruticus uh only their individual modes uh the two humans in this episode are named roland and martin uh as in Roland and Martin's Laugh-In, a very long-running TV show in the 60s and 70s. And one of those kids was voiced by Townsend Coleman, who uh, you may know better as the original Michelangelo on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or as the original Tick from uh, the cartoon of the same name. Now, uh, in other references to other bits of television, the high school these kids attend is not named after Benjamin Franklin, nor is it named after President Franklin Pierce. Uh, it is named after Benjamin Franklin Pierce. I've got a distress signal. 
It's coming from a one-level brick structure with the inscription Benjamin Franklin Pierce High School. And for those of you who know your TV and movie history, that would be Benjamin Franklin Pierce, a.k.a. Hawkeye Pierce, the main character in the uh, TV series and the film from which the TV series derived called M.A.S.H. And that is the type of episode Bot was. I'd say that about wraps it up. And that will wrap things up for season two of the Transformers cartoon. And we're almost out of 1986. And I'll explain that more in just a second. But if you like this show, please subscribe and review us wherever you listen to the show. If it's on YouTube, it's on uh, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us. Please uh, give us a five-star review and subscribe. Of course, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? Uh, YouTube.com slash TFU info. That's YouTube.com slash TFU INFO. Uh, this show appears there as well, as well as uh, lots of other fun stuff. And I'm hoping to get a few new toy reviews up before the end of 2018. Now, if you want to get back to the show, there's a couple ways you can do it. I will give you the quickest and easiest way. That is join our Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash TFU info. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TFU I-N-F-O. Uh, for as little as $1 a month, you can hear this show a day early. Uh, as we try to reach our goal of 25 patrons, and we are at 15 patrons right now, so if we can get to 25, I'm going to go back and uh, start redoing some of these podcast episodes as full video episodes, so you'll be able to watch uh, just about everything we talk about in uh, the episodes with uh, some visual help along the way. Of course, if uh, that's not your thing, I totally understand. Uh you can help us out one other way. Your Christmas shopping, doing your holiday shopping right now. Use our Amazon links. tfu.info slash Amazon. Anything you do from there on out, Amazon will send uh, a little bit of change our way for anything that you buy. And uh, that definitely goes to help us out here at tfu.info. Of course, keep an eye on the website, www.tfu.info. I'm working on uh, some more of the upgrades to the toy archive uh, making my way through the year 2000 through Beast Machines and Robots in Disguise. If you're familiar with those lines, uh, go check it out. Uh, we're going to have some nice updates there soon. And of course, if you want to reach out to me, the best way to do it is on Twitter. Twitter.com slash TFU underscore info or at TFU underscore info. You can also catch us on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, you can always shoot me an email at info at TFU.info. So, Next time on the show, we are going to wrap up 1985. Hallelujah. It's been a lot of episodes about 1985. The first big heyday of Transformers. And we're going to get ready to go into 1986. The movie, the toy line, and everything else that came with it. The big uh, seismic shift in the Transformers brand happens in 1986. And you do not want to miss it. So until next time, I am Anthony Bricali, host of this show, owner of operator madman behind tfu.info see you.